We are, we are back in Colossians this morning, and it is amazing that we do serve a God who is worthy of our praise and our adoration. You know, that when we, when we come here and we gather to worship and we gather to read the word and we gather to pray, it's not lip service, right, that we give to something out of, like, a sense of duty or a sense of obligation that we're actually getting to gather in the presence of who God is and what he has done for us. We're getting to declare praise to who God is and what he's done for us. And when we come to his word, this is, may we receive this this morning as such, church, that, that this is who Christ is and what he's done for us. I mean, we, John gave us a very, very powerful intro last week into the book of Colossians, right? That as we've been kind of walking through Exodus and hearing the story of the formation of God's people, now all of a sudden we see there's one who has set the people free. And there's one who's teaching the people what it looks like to be right with God in the man Moses for Israel. And now, just as John you know, shared with us last week, Paul is showing how, but this is Christ for all of us, right? This is who Christ is. This is what he's done for us. And guys, when we, the more we see this, the more we understand who we are in light of who we've been made, in light of the life we have been called to live. Paul wrote this book, uh, this letter, Colossians, to really to two different groups of people, to the believers at Colossae, but also the believers at Laodicea. And he's writing to them to just encourage them, hey, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done. I, the, the big theological term for that is Christology, right? Just the study of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and many scholars hold, hey, this is, this is one of the most Christological books in the Bible. That if, if you wanted a textbook on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for us, Colossians, I, I know we love Romans, Colossians is one of Paul's letters that really nails this home. So guys, we are, we are going through Colossians in April because as we also get to celebrate, hey, today, Palm Sunday, you know, then this week, the events leading up to the cross, next Sunday, the resurrection, I mean, all of this, getting to see who Jesus is, this, this here is as Paul is writing, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us. And guys, if, if we understand this to be true, as we're going to see today, that, that leads us to understand who we are and the life that we ought to live. So we are picking up where John left off after verse 23. In Colossians 1, 24, this morning we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 15. Um, and guys, as we are, we are reading this this morning, hear, hear how Christ is described in these verses. The, the way that Paul describes Christ is honestly not, it's not a way that I typically think about talking about Christ. And so as I was reading this this week, I went, oh, that's, that's something I haven't really seen that much about or thought that much about. But we're, we're talking about this morning one key phrase that's going to be repeated. So I'll, I'll let you guys see if you could pick up on it as we go. But I, I pray that as we, we receive who Christ is today, and we recognize what he's done for us, that that would that would help shape the way we live with our world around us. So beginning in verse 24 of chapter 1, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them, to these saints, 
God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, as we, as we learned last week, you have set us free in Christ, Lord. Father, we do not live in, in bondage to, to the world. We do not live in bondage to any spiritual forces. Father, when we are in you, because of who your son is and what he has done for us, God, we, we are free. God, because of that, that freedom, then we're kind of left with this question of, Lord, then what do we do? Like, if we are free, then what do you want our lives to look like? Lord, we are grateful for your apostle Paul as he's kind of working this train of logic through the, the church at Colossae that we have this record, Lord, that of your word we get to study, we get to, to understand this this morning. But, Father, that is, that is only possible through your Holy Spirit. Father, give us ears to hear let our eyes see, let our, our minds understand just the, the glorious riches of your word, Father, because it is showing us who you are. Lord, we want to be with you today. In your name we pray, amen. So guys, the, the reason we kind of stopped halfway through chapter one is because the first 23 verses of Colossians really just almost read as Paul's foreword to his letter. It's a very long introduction but Paul is just, he's going on on this theme of, man, this is who Jesus is. Do you guys, like, understand, this is who Jesus is. Hey, make sure you know, this is who Jesus is. I mean, he talks about that a lot. And then in verse 24, he starts to then shift and say, so if Jesus has set us free, 
then what do we do? And if you guys understood that, that phrase that I was trying to, to read so that you could pick up on it, it's the mystery of God. Right, that, that two or three times in this passage that we just read, Paul describes Christ as the mystery of God. And he's almost like trying to lead you through his logic that if we've been set free in Christ, then what do we do? And, and that, is, that is a question that, uh, as a former student pastor, youth ask that question all the time, right? Like, what's God's will for my life? What, what does God want me to do? And, and certainly that's not a question that stops when you are no longer a youth, right? we ask that question constantly. What, what does God want? What is this mystery of God? Who is he? What is he doing? How, how do I join in? Guys, Paul establishes, this is the first part of our main point this morning, Jesus Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. I mean, another way to put it would just simply be, if we want to know who God is, if we want to know what he's doing, if we want to know how he would respond to what goes on in our world. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. This is what Paul says in verse 26 and 27, where he, he starts by saying how God has desired to show his church, his, his saints, how the riches of his glory and this, of the glory of this mystery, they've been received by the Gentiles. And he says, this mystery is Christ in you. So something about the mystery of what God is doing and who he is and what he's trying to accomplish, it's, it's related to Christ within us. And he also says, and by the way, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So that, that should make us feel pretty good, right, about having Christ within us. It's the hope of glory. In chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, he really kind of you know, calls this fully, and he says you know, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. He comes right out and says, hey, to, to know the mystery of God, to know who he is and what he is doing and what he would think about this, what he would be doing with this, to know this mystery, to know this is, is Christ. And he goes on, verse 3, he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? M many of us would, would love the riches of wisdom and knowledge to know not, not just what is God doing in my life, what is God doing in my world right around me, but there we, we, we hear our culture, we see how much brokenness is in our world and how much people are longing for understanding, for wisdom, for knowledge. And right here, all the treasures of this are wrapped up in Christ. So why, why does Paul care? Because he's in the span of like five verses, he makes the point two separate times Jesus is the knowledge of God's mystery. Why does Paul care about this? He says in verses 4 through 5, I say this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, the word plausible is always one that trips me up. I, I don't know why. I always forget. Does that, mean, does that mean good or bad? And really, the Greek language here, when it says plausible, just if, if you guys also get tripped up on the word plausible, the Greek gives us the idea of these new believers were being led astray by something. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to be led astray from something because people are claiming to know things apart from Christ. In verse 8, he exhorts them to see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. He, he's saying, don't, don't be fooled. Don't feel like there's something you need to know other than Christ. In verse 8, he says, really, there is no knowledge apart from Christ. 
right? Like, like there, what can you hope to gain by having something other than Christ? See, what Paul is doing is he's writing to address this, this early heretical movement that was taking place in the church. It was, it's called Gnosticism, which is a fancy word, but it, it really just means uh, like secret or hidden knowledge. So there's a group of people that were inside the Colossian church that were telling them, hey, Jesus saves, and yes, Jesus is good, but if you really want to know who God is, you have to know this. If you really want to be right with God, if you really want to walk with God, if you really want to follow Christ, you need to be better informed of this. Gnosticism had some different strains, so you know if you could fill in that blank with a couple different things, but, but really it was just a group of people that were they claimed to have some sort of insight or understanding into the faith that nobody else had. And so, yes, Jesus is good and Jesus saves, but you really need something else if you want to truly be living and following as a Christ follower in the world. And guys, I, if Paul is writing to that audience, I mean, can you see how all heresy is damaging to the church, but see how that one in particular would be really, truly like disruptive and, and horrific for the early church. I mean, John was telling us last week how Paul was having to remind the Colossians, look, you have been set free. You have Christ. You have been set free. And, and here, Paul says, but there's a group that is coming telling you, no, 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 no. Y yes, all of that is good. But you really also need something else. I mean, that's why Paul says, look, this language takes you captive. It, it says, yes, you've been set free, but you really need something other than Christ, in order to understand how to follow God, how to live in this world as a Christ follower. It, it, it's almost ironic, church, if you hear Paul says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive, because he just spent 23 verses proving you've been set free. Don't be taken captive. If you've been set free in Christ, why are you binding something other than Christ? Church, we are called to be on guard against any kind of doctrine, any kind of teaching, any kind of whispering that, that leads us to feel like we need to pursue knowledge of something other than Christ if we're to grow in the image of God. Because when we do this, I, I just really quickly want to call out, here's some of the things John mentioned last week in Colossians 1 of what Christ is, what he's done for us that we miss out on when we are pursuing something other than Christ. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul goes ahead and says, here's, here's what truth is. It is the gospel message. It is who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And he says, this, this truth gives you this hope laid up for you in heaven. So you can see when we pursue something other than Christ, we miss out on the hope that we have in Christ. We just we 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 don't live hopeful lives. Verse uh, verse 6 of chapter 1. He says this this gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Guys, I I think it is amazing Paul even pauses here to say, look when you when you forget that Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery and that Christ, you don't need something for life other than Christ, you also forget that is true all around the world. And Paul says, look, the, the gospel is going forth. The gospel is, is bearing fruit. I think it is amazing that Paul says when we lose sight of who Jesus is, our focus immediately kind of 
we get blinders on. We feel like what is going on in front of me is the only thing that matters and this situation is the absolute worst and that where is God if I don't see him right here? Paul says, hey, the gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel is going forth. It is transforming lives. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Colossians 1.12, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We forget that God has promised us life. Right? That the, the reward we have for, you know, in heaven waiting for us in the Holy Spirit, it, it is life with God for all eternity. So we, we forget, hey, we stand to inherit that, right? Like, like how, how bad can it be if that is what is waiting for us? Life with our God for eternity? Yes. Yes, please. Verses 13 and 14, chapter 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is, man, John, John illustrated this perfectly last week. We forget that we've been set free. As John said, free from the power of tyranny, right? We are no longer citizens of that kingdom anymore. There is no authority binding us. Right, from, from the world, from, from sin, from darkness. We're, we're free from the power of brokenness, right? We have been restored. We've been brought back into true life with God. And, and we forget, too, that not only have we been brought back into life with God, but we now have Christ. Christ is our authority. But behind the way we act, behind the way we live, behind the truth of the Bible that we proclaim, guys, Christ is our authority. By the way, Jesus says in Matthew 20, 18, what does this authority look like? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the power behind you when we are living as a Christ follower. Paul says, don't, don't miss this. Don't listen to something that is trying to tell you otherwise. Verse 22, he, Christ, has now reconciled in his body by, of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Church, man, when we pursue other than Christ, we forget who we are. That we've been reconciled. That we've been made holy and blameless and above reproach. It's not a standard that, that we're trying to live up to. It is, it is what we have been made in Christ. If indeed we continue in the faith, we forget to pursue in the faith. We forget to be stable and steadfast. We, we fall into shifting away from the hope of the gospel. I mean, church, this is, this is why Paul is harping on Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. He says, look at all of these things that you have seen, that, not that, that you've seen and mentally understood, but are realities for you because this is who Christ is and you have made him your savior and Lord. He says, this, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are. Do not miss this. Paul, Paul is begging, he's begging the church. Guys, don't, don't lose sight of this. He's also essentially begging them and don't move on from this either. I was listening to uh, a, an interview that uh, Francis Chan was giving, and he was speaking on the subject of, uh, specifically on the subject of unity in the church. And in the interview, he was talking about, in, in his own life, how he, he, re he realized one day that it, when he would hear somebody talk about a problem, that his, his first thought was, well, I wonder what 
uh, what so-and-so has to say on that. Or, or I wonder, uh, you, you know, what, what so-and-so thinks about that. And he said, I, I realize that, you know, I, I can go read a book on the problem. I can listen to, you know, like a, 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 just a, a public figure or a, a news outlet. I can, I can listen to somebody speak on the problem. He said, but I, I just realized, why was my gut reaction not, well, what would God's heart be on this? Right? And why, why was my first source a broken source? That, that phrase, that imagery stuck with me. You know, where he, he's basically saying we, we are apt to trust these voices that Paul calls out, voices that claim to have some knowledge of something other than Christ, something built off of Christ. Like, yes, Jesus is good, but if we really knew this, man, now, now we would know. And, and Paul says, look, you know, these... These voices have their place, right? You and I are still in the process of being sanctified, right? For us to just purely lock in and not listen to any other voice, I mean, then you wouldn't have to come here anymore. You wouldn't need me. So I'm, I'm not telling you that other voices don't have their, their place. But man, our, our default does not typically tend to be, but what, what would God think? What would God do? And, and church, if I'm honest, with, with, for me in my personal life, I realize in those moments, I tend to think too highly of myself. Because when I think about what would, you know, the, the question, what would Jesus do, right? What would God want me to do? I kind of think, okay, what's my gut reaction, right? Because I'm a Christian, and, and I should be able to trust that within me. And Paul, Paul is so good. And he, just the number of times we heard in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in this. He's, he's not trying to puff us up to say, you have everything you need, so you don't need anybody else. He's saying, you have everything you need in Christ. So make sure when you are walking through different situations, you're navigating different situations, don't, don't put too much stock in what uh, somebody else teaching something other than Christ might say. Don't put so much stock in yourself because you, you have to be set free to begin with. You, Christ is still sanctifying you. Our faith, our confidence, our power is in Christ. Paul is teaching us not to be taken captive by the knowledge of God apart from Christ because it doesn't exist. And he's teaching us not to be taken captive just by our own interpretation of something because it's fallen. He says, your hope, your confidence, the knowledge of God's mystery. Guys, if, if we want to know what God would think or what God would do or who he is or what he's at work doing, we have Christ. Paul says, the mystery hidden for ages, verse 26. Right? When, when we are here in Exodus which we will come back to at the end of April, and we're walking through that story, they did not know Jesus yet. All of the laws, all of the things that God is teaching to Moses, this is all pointing forward to Christ, right? So it looks different under the old covenant, which Paul's also going to get to, but we'll talk about in a minute. It looks different because it's still building towards something. Paul says, but now here, man, you have Christ. You have Christ. So hear, hear, hear God's word, church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There, there's nothing of value we, we can gain in this world apart from Christ. So if this is true, <laughs> then what do we do? That, that's my, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed that. That's my favorite 
My favorite question with sermons, I only have two points. If, if this is the reality, then what do you do, Jordan? Why do we care about this? Paul goes there in verses 6 and 7. And I love how, how Paul kind of anticipates our questions as well. Paul says, okay, if Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery, what do we do? Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He expands on what does that look like? Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. I love that phrase, established. There's a foundation built there. What, what are you founded on? What do you come back to? What is everything built on top of? Your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Second part of our main point, guys, Jesus Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. So what do we do? We establish our lives in pursuing him. I mean, this becomes our foundation. This becomes what we do. This becomes where, what, we are, what we are after. Paul says in verses 6 through 8, because they have received Christ, the Greek there meaning like they, they mentally understood something, right? Like they, they have heard the teaching of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. They, they believe the teaching to be true because they've received it with their minds. What do they do? They walk in him. And that verb there that is translated in our English as walk is, is a rich verb that gives a picture of living a life conformed to un the union with something. So here it's, it's, it's to walk in him, in Christ Jesus the Lord. The language saying walk in union with Christ. Live conformed to your union with Christ, which means in verse 8, don't be taken captive by something other than Christ. I mean, Paul echoes this in Romans 12, 2, where he says, do not be conformed to the world. Don't be taken captive by something else, but be transformed by the renewal of your hearts and your minds. So he says that in response to Romans 12, 1, which is us giving our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So as we are giving ourselves to Christ, as we are taking on Christ as ourselves, we are being literally transformed into God's image. Guys, if, if that is the process, how would we not know how to respond to our world, to our hurt, to our pain, to our, our suffering. If we are being transformed into the image of God, how would we not in the spirit then know what, what God would have us to do? I mean, this, this is the line of thinking that Paul has in so many of his letters, why he, he urges people, be in Christ, walk in Christ, stay with Christ. Christ will lead you to live out the image of God. And in case we're going, okay, but, but remind me again of why Christ is so important. Why, why should I establish my life in him? Man, this is where Paul goes in verses 9 through, I mean, really the rest of the book, but 9 through 15 right here. Verse 9, in him, in Christ, listen, to just I'm going to try to read them slowly because I get excited. When I get excited, I speak faster, and you guys have probably heard that by now. But there, there is some very succinct, very deep, very powerful truths about why Christ is worthy of us establishing our lives in him in these verses. Verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? You guys have heard probably somebody talk about Christ being fully God and fully man. This is one of the verses where we say, yeah, it says it right there. The fullness of the deity of God dwelled bodily and Christ, if we, if we want to know what God was thinking, what God was at work doing, we, we see it in Christ. The disciples literally got to live 
with God next to them. You and I have the Holy Spirit, God living inside of us, which is where Paul goes in verse 10. You have been filled with him. And do we, do we recognize that, church? If our lives are in Christ, we have been filled with the knowledge of God's mystery. Right? The, the God is, is not trying to make his faith and the life with him something that we have to just wonder about all the time. That his, his Holy Spirit dwells within us. If that wasn't enough, the whole fullness of God dwells within Christ. Christ dwells within you, verse 10. Christ, he, Paul describes him, the head of all rule and authority. We hear so many conversations, guys, with, with other Christians, other churches, that this, this language of fear, like, if we don't do something, everything, like, look how bad things are going to become. It, almost like the church is, needs to align itself with something to have the power it needs to respond in, in times in our world. And church, I would, I would say, look at this verse. Tell me, Christ is the head of all rule and authority. The fullness of God dwelt within him, and the fullness of God dwells within you. What power do we need? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I, it, we, we have been filled with Christ, the head of all authority and power. And if that dwells within us, church, man, how, how do we not, how are we not equipped to respond with whatever we see in front of us? Verses 11 and 12, Paul just keeps this going. He refers to circumcision to remind them Remind this church of, of their covenant with Christ. Circumcision is, is the language in the Old Testament that refers to the covenant between God and his people. He, he, that was their sign to prove to the nations that they were God's people. So Paul is really fond of using that language in his New Testament writing to, to call his audience's mind back to the Old Testament, this covenant language, right? That you are God's people and that he's made you right with him. So he says, hey, this, this covenant, this circumcision, this, this comes from Christ. This is not something that is overcome. This is not something that can be broken. This, this covenant comes from the fullness of God dwelling bodily. This covenant is within you. This covenant comes from the one who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 13 and 14, Paul reminds them that they were spiritually dead when they were living apart from God, and yet God has forgiven them of their rebellion in Christ as he has satisfied their debt, nailing it on the cross. Church, we have literally received life in Christ, just as John was showing last week in chapter 1. We've been set free. We have life because we have Christ. And, and I realized, guys, I, I was deeply convicted of this when I was reading this this week, going, man, how much time do I spend when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm feeling anxious that I, I just don't, I don't go to Christ with that. I, I, I don't, I, I, I go so many other places before I realize, oh man, you know, if, if I actually went to Christ, who is my life, maybe I would receive the encouragement, maybe I would, would understand this power that, that put within me 
in the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, in case we need to hear it again, Paul restates how God has placed all authority and power over everything in Christ. And I, I love, he adds this at the end. He says, not only has he disarmed the rulers and authorities in Christ, but he has put them to open shame. Not only do they have any more power, but whatever they would make, make happen is, is just openly shameful. You look at that and go, why on earth would I ever need that? I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, very practical example for me, when I get stressed, Abigail can tell you, I don't go to, to social media, but I will get lost in ESPN. And I will be paying attention to the top searches on my phone, VT football, VT basketball, Washington Commanders football, Washington Wizards basketball. I just, when I get stressed out and I can't handle something, I just go there and I'm like, okay, tell me Brent Pry did something good. Tell me Mike Young got an amazing recruit. Tell me the Commanders finally figured out football. Tell me the Wizards are getting an amazing draft pick. Like, I need, I need something. And, and there's... There's been several moments where, you know, after spending, I don't even know how much time reading, to be honest, because it, I, you just get distracted. You go, that did absolutely nothing. And sometimes I almost end up laughing at myself because I'm like, really? Like, you really thought that was going to help you with whatever you were doing? I mean, maybe you guys don't have that problem, but I, I realize, yeah, he has put these powers to open shame. Because not only do they not accomplish anything, at the end of it, I'm going, man, I, I am like laughing at myself who prides himself on not wasting time. I don't even know how much time I just wasted on all of this. This, he has put the rulers and authorities of the world to open shame. Man, there is absolutely nothing they can add to our lives because we've already received Christ. So what, is, what does all of this mean, church? As we wrap up this morning, why, why does it matter to us that Jesus is the knowledge of God's mystery and that we should be establishing our lives in him? Think very clearly as Paul is writing to the church, he's encouraging them, we need to remind ourselves and others of the power we've received in Christ because our default is to feel powerless. Right? We, we wouldn't be looking for power elsewhere if we recognized the power we had in Christ. And, and I just, as I was rereading this this week, I was realizing, so, so how does Paul describe Christ's power in these verses? And I realized it is, sometimes it's difficult to understand because it's not an earthly power. Like we, we have a very different understanding of power than God does. It, it, in fact, Paul even says these earthly powers, the things that sound persuasive or sound like they have real meat behind it, he says in verse 5, don't be deluded by it. He says in verse 8, don't be taken captive by it. Christ's power is greater. Christ's power literally took you from dead in sin to life with God. Yes, maybe you can't visibly see that, and so maybe it doesn't feel as big, but it, man, is there anything greater than having been brought from death to life? And guys, I would encourage you a very practical question to help you just kind of gauge, okay, am I, am I living more in like understanding who Jesus is and what he's doing in my life, or am I, am I getting more kind of caught up and feeling powerless? I, I would encourage you just evaluate this week. Do I talk more or do I tend to talk more about how bad things are without Christ or how complete things are with Christ? I'm not saying you have to go be a blind optimist, right? Just because we are in Christ, we still deal with the realities of our brokenness and living in a broken creation that is still longing its final 
restoration with God, okay? So, so it, it's not like the, the opposite of you know, talking bad about everything is talking great about everything. It, it's realizing the power that you have in Christ for what comes in front of you. And I think it would be interesting. And look, I, I, I share these things with you because I plan on doing this this week, okay? So this is, this is not me telling you what to do. Come join me in this. I really am curious, and, and maybe Abigail will tell you next Sunday, how, did, does Jordan tend to talk more about how bad things are because of without Christ? Or is he, is he starting to realize, okay, I can recognize something's not right, but, but what, has, what has Christ taught me to do? How is Christ leading me to handle this? The second thing I think all of this means for us, church, this morning is simply walking in Christ is work. It, it's work. Notice the verbs uh, that we have translated in English that Paul calls believers to do. Walk, rooted, built up, established, abounding, see to it. That, that's, that's six verbs that are all they give us the picture of a, a long-term kind of daily grind mentality of, okay, like, I got this yesterday, I'm going to get it again today, I'm going to have to keep working on it again tomorrow. A, a, a joyful work, right? Walking with something, being rooted in something, like, it, it gives you the feeling that I'm accomplishing something. There's a firm foundation that is being built when I undertake this work. But I think when, when we typically think about work in the Christian faith, we think about, you know, something that's going to stand out to the world, to our friends, to our families, just something big. And the work that Paul is describing is very big. But it begins as an internal, deeply personal, deeply intimate work of, of being brought dead to life and being you know, continually shown every day what does this look like. And, and guys, I, want, I just want to encourage you, that is, that is why we've been so careful and so intentional in this season of like, what are we involved in as a church and what are we doing next? Because this, we're trying to to build in rhythms of doing this work within us, just to kind of show you how we've been thinking about it so you, you know, it makes it look like we know what we're doing. What are the, the ministries that we started very recently? One of them was our community groups. I mean, the, these groups that are at our house and at the Bowman's house, it, they're centered around prayer, the fellowship, and the word, right? These are rhythms that we see Paul teaching us we have to engage in in order to remind ourselves of this power we have in Christ and to encourage others in this. So why these groups? Why this time? Because we want to encourage others, hey, this, this is worth it. The different ministries that we started, our, our children's ministry, our worship ministry, our prayer ministry, our, our connections ministry, why these? They're all centered around developing relationships, right? Either with our kids in worship, leading us to develop our relationship with our Father, connections ministry with our, our visitors and people that, you know, just decide to pop in and say, like, what's going on in that building on Sundays? Just we desire to build relationships with one another because this faith requires this personal, intimate, internal work, which is an uncomfortable work to do unless you're in relationships with other people, right? So, so this, this is what we're trying to, to work towards in this season. You guys have heard me mention it at some point we're going to grow to establish kind of a, a leadership model of elders and deacons within the church. And we're working on the, the just through scripture to see, man, what, what would that look like? I, I mean, that's scripturally, it's given to help the church grow in relational discipleship, which is kind of the backbone, two-word summary of all the vision stuff that we've been talking about. 
I mean, guys, we, we are doing this because we, we see that Jesus Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery, right? If we want to know God, to know who we are, we have to know Christ. And if that is true, then we have to be pursuing him. We want to be going after him. We want this to be the work that we are known for in our community. And so as we move to reflect today, guys, I, I know you're, you're probably smelling the food and you're ready to go. I want to just hear the encouragement of Paul today, okay? Christ is enough. If he is the knowledge of God's mystery, if the fullness of God dwelled within him, Christ is enough. And if you've received him this morning as, as your Lord and as your Savior and his Holy Spirit dwells within you, then that enoughness also dwells within you, that you, you have this. Guys, be encouraged. God desires us to know him. He says he has been making this mystery. It was hidden for ages and generations. God first worked with his people, you know, kind of speaking to them through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then he built his nation. He spoke to them through the law. And then they didn't follow it, so he spoke to them through the prophets. So God has been building up to this moment where he's made it known in Christ. But then it's even more known when we dwell with him forever. So God desires us to know him. He's at work making himself known to us. As you consider these things today, guys, I, I invite you to join, join with me in prayer as we close, and then we will we'll conclude with our, our worship. Glorious God, I bless thee that I know thee. I once lived in the world, but was ignorant of its creator, was partaker of thy providences, but not the provider. I was blind while enjoying the sunlight. I was deaf to all things spiritual, with voices all around me. I understood many things, but had no knowledge of thy ways. I saw the world, but I did not see Jesus only. O oh, happy day when in thy love's sovereignty thou didst look on me and call me by grace. Then did the dead heart begin to beat. Then did the darkened eye glimmer with light. Then did the dull ear catch thy echo. Then did I turn to thee and find thee, a God ready to hear, a God willing to save. Then did I find my heart at enmity to thee, vexing thy spirit. Then did I fall at my feet and hear thee thunder, the soul that sinneth it must die. When grace made me to know thee and admire a God who hated sin, thy terrible justice held my will submissive. My, thought were, my thoughts were then as knives, cutting my head. Then didst thou come to me in silken robes of love, and I saw thy son dying that I might live. And in that death I found my all. My soul doth sing at remembrance of that peace. The gospel cornet brought a sound unknown to me before that reached my heart, and I never to lose my hold on Christ or his hold on me. Grant that I may always weep to the praise of mercy found and tell to others as long as I live that thou art a sin-pardoning God, taking up the blasphemer and the ungodly and washing them from deepest stain. God, we are grateful that we, are, we gather in remembrance and in celebration of that on Palm Sunday today, as your son rode into Jerusalem, Father, he wept because he knew the plight that was going to overtake the world, but he knew what he was about to do and why he had come, Father. 
And as we build towards Easter this week, Father, as we, we gather to celebrate today, as we gather again on Good Friday, Lord, may, may this just become real for us. It does not matter, Father, if how many times we have heard it. May we receive it and live it out today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.